Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Before I actually read that text for this morning, I want to give you a, a few comments, both about the text and actually about the, the calendar in the church year. So this is actually like the last Sunday of the church year. We're in a season that is sometimes called the end times. And next Sunday, we begin Advent. Okay, this Sunday sometimes is called Christ the King Sunday. And in the end times, and particularly in Christ the King Sunday, we focus on how because of what Jesus did for us, one day he will come back again, restore paradise. That will be ours. So in connection with that, I have a question for you this morning. What's your paradise? Now, maybe for some of you, your paradise is a few days down at Virginia Beach or a week at Outer Banks. You've got the sun, sand, water, no worries in the world, just you and a boogie board and maybe a little sunburn. For some of us, our paradise may be some sort of place from our childhood. We think back in time, wow. That place was really my paradise. That was the place where I felt the best. It was perfect for me. Maybe grandma's house, Thanksgiving's coming up. We think back to something like that. Maybe some of you prefer to get outdoors. And so paradise for you in the Shenandoah Mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains, maybe you're going all the way west out to the Rocky Mountains. Spend a week in a cabin. Stars are bright. There's no light pollution fresh air, away from all the annoying people. Now, I don't know what your paradise is, and I suppose I could go around and ask every single one of you here this morning, but I want you to think about it for a second. What's my paradise? Probably just for a second or a minute, because I also want you to listen to the rest of my sermon and not be daydreaming. But one of the things I can tell you and this is kind of where I get into the background of Revelation, is that when the Apostle John wrote this letter, this revelation that he received from God that we're going to read from today, he wasn't in paradise. The Apostle John was exiled on an island called Patmos. Patmos was about 35 miles or from about here to Falls Church or something like that, away from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He was 35 miles away from any of the Christians there, exiled. And again, you may be thinking to yourself, an island, I, I think I could do that. doesn't sound all that bad to me to be on an island off the, off the coast, beautiful weather, things like that. But for someone who wanted to share the good news about Jesus... This was, this was torture. He was a long ways away from these people. And more than that, he knew he probably wasn't going back to them. He was probably going to die on this island in exile. And so he writes down this revelation that he receives from God. And he re writes it to seven churches, much like yourself, seven congregations, seven cities, if you will, 
And they weren't really in paradise either. They were living at a time uh, where there was emperors in the, in the Roman Empire who were persecuting Christians. Uh, Nero is maybe a popular one we think of, but Domitian was around too. And, and they were persecuting the Christians in these churches. They weren't living in a paradise at all. In fact, every day brought about its own dangers, its, its own trials. And maybe you feel very much like those Christians today. Maybe you feel worn down and realize that this isn't much of a paradise. But our lesson is actually the last words from the Revelation. After these words are spoken, John is really just going to say goodbye in the rest of his letter. These are the last words of the revelation that he receives as he's on this island of Patmos. I'm going to go ahead and read these words from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5 for you here this morning. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. On the other side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have the need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, we're in the book of Revelation. I told you that already. And sometimes this is a scary book for us to enter into. We know that there's a lot of different interpretations out there. The visions are kind of weird. We aren't exactly sure what everything means. But the theme of Revelation is very simple. Even though there is persecution, even though there is trouble, Jesus wins. And he will restore paradise. So the words from our lesson for today, do they sound at all to you kind of like a different part of Scripture? It's interesting. The words actually parallel pretty similar words from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the, the Garden of Eden, the paradise that God had given to his people, Adam and Eve. I'm going to read a couple verses from Genesis chapter 2 and just listen to the similarities between the reading I just got done reading and the reading about Genesis, the very beginning. So if you want Genesis 2, um, verses 8 through 10, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it, but you can if you want. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he had formed, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. You can see how similar those texts really are. You have the tree of life, trees all over. You have this river I just want to take you back to Genesis a little bit. 
You probably all know what happened at Genesis in Eden. God said, I've got all these trees for you, and you can eat from any of them. You can eat from the tree of life, but this tree of knowledge of good and evil can't eat from that one. And the devil came along, and he tempted Adam and Eve, and they ate from the tree. And because of that, God sent them out of the garden, and he placed a curse on them and on the devil. He said, from now on, you're going to have to work the fields. It's going to be difficult for you. You will toil, be sweat. Sin had entered the world. And to the devil, he said, I'm going to send a savior who's going to crush your head. And so ultimately, in the curse, we see the promise for mankind. I am going to send my son Jesus one day, and he will crush the head of the devil. This paradise that you have lost, these hardships that you will now have, this death that you will experience, I will do away with by the work of my son. I don't think I have to tell you this, but it's pretty obvious that the world we live in today isn't a paradise. We can go on vacation. Great, maybe you're still thinking about the beach. We can go to the mountains. We can get far away. We can have a great Thanksgiving meal where we're surrounded by our friends and our family. But isn't it all too quickly that maybe Monday rolls around and we have to go back to work? And there's something at work that's just not quite right. Those relationships that were so great on the weekend when we were having meals, suddenly now there's an issue in that relationship. They're difficult. I have to put time into them. It's a struggle every single day. There's sadness. Sickness, right? We see COVID numbers rising again. It's very obvious in our face. There's death. And all of those things remind us again and again that we don't live in paradise. We don't live in Eden. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the sin that has been inherited now to every single person who has lived since then, there's sadness, there's struggle. death, hardship. I could go on and on. Now, I think there's two temptations that we can kind of fall into with this whole thing. The first one to ourselves, honestly, I really only lack a couple things here on this earth to just have paradise or create paradise here on earth again. Could be vacation home, uh, a new car. My car's broken down, but you know, if I had that brand new Jeep, then I'd have paradise here on earth. A couple extra thousand dollars in the paycheck every month wouldn't be too bad either. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, come, please take us from this world. But you know, maybe not until Friday because I actually have some pretty fun plans on Thanksgiving and my turkey is going to be awesome. And so we try to create a paradise on earth with the things we have and the experiences we have. But all of those always fall short, right? There's always something that is missing. Sin takes us back to the Garden of Eden, right? 
There's another temptation, I think. And it's that somehow if we change things that are happening in the social climate or the political climate, then paradise will be restored on this earth. If we just have this or that politician, then suddenly our paradise on this earth will be much better. Life will be much better for Christians. Or if we fix this social problem, then paradise will be on earth. If we just help out the environment a little more, then we can create paradise on this earth. But once again, as we try to do those things and we put our energy and our money and our minds and we fix them a lot on those things, we realize it falls short. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a new car. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. There's nothing wrong with good Thanksgiving. Government is a gift from God, clearly. So is the environment, and all of those things are good. But ultimately, when we put our hope in them, when we put our confidence in them, when we put our trust in them, we realize that there's something missing. It's interesting, in my preparation for this, I was reading some commentaries from the beginning of the Christian church. So about the time when Revelation was being written, just a little bit after. And they are consistently focused on this end times, that Christ will come again. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is that Christ's death, resurrection, ascension into heaven was so imminent. It had just happened. And he said, I am going to come back. So in their heads, this is fresh in their mind. He's going to come back. But I also think it's because life was actually pretty difficult. Uh, People didn't live super long, things like that. There was persecution in the church. And so they, they had these problems, and they were very focused on, come, Lord Jesus, come again, whenever. Release us. Take us from this. Now, once again, I don't want you to get me wrong. These people had their same struggles, their same difficulty. They were sinners just like you and me. But I think we maybe can learn something from them in just their eagerness for the last day, in their eagerness for Christ to come again and take them from this world that really was lacking in a lot of places, and they could see that clearly. Now, I know at this point I've been somewhat doom and gloom perhaps, and maybe won't be invited back again. But there, are, there is good news for you in this whole thing. I want to take you back to Genesis. We've been back there a few times. When, Jesus, when God promised that I will send my Savior, he kept this promise throughout the whole Old Testament. Again and again and again, we see God's people disobeying turning away from God and God saying, you know what? You did that. Yes. But I will keep my promise to you. I will send this savior. He will come. He will crush the head of the devil. And that promise is repeated again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament, and this is perfect. We're starting with Advent next week and prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist comes. And he says, guess what? The promise, it's close. And then Jesus is born on Christmas. And he lived a a perfect life for you and for me. 
all of those same types of struggles that we feel as the effects of sin? Well, he lived it perfectly. Kept the promise. And then we get to Holy Week, right? He rides into Jerusalem. He's betrayed by Judas. And he goes to the cross. And now I'm going to connect a few dots. We've got the tree of life in Genesis that I read to you. Then we've got another tree. Jesus is hanging on the tree and he turns to the, to the robber on, on the right side and he says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. And isn't that what his death ultimately says for you too? Today, you will be with me in paradise. I will write my name on your forehead. And you will be with me forever. But it doesn't end with Jesus dying because if it just ended there, none of those promises would mean anything. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples over 40 days and then he ascends. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God. And he will come back again to take you, each and every one of you, to be with him in a paradise restored. That is his promise. The same thing that he promised at at the beginning of Genesis, he carries out all the way through. And we can connect the dots again and again and again. And now we have this reading from Revelation where he talks about what that paradise might be like. He dies for the sins of the world. He dies for your sins. He dies for my sins so that that can be our confidence. We can have confidence in that promise. So what does this all mean for you and for me? A couple things. First of all, he says that this last day is going to come like a thief in the night, right? And so we live wisely in these days. We hold on to his promises. That's what we do by faith. We believe his words that he's coming again. And then also, if you will, permit me an illustration. A chameleon can put his eyes in two totally different directions and actually be focusing on them. This is much the way that Christians think as we're living in these end times. We have one eye fixed here on earth where we want to share that word with the community in Fredericksburg, in Virginia as a whole, and really with the whole entire world. Anyone who hasn't heard of this beautiful gospel message that will be in paradise. It'll be restored. But we also keep one eye heavenward. We think to ourselves, it's coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And suddenly then all of the hardships, all of the problems, all of the suffering, we see the end goal. That one day he will come again to take us to be with him. And that's something that we have to believe by faith. That is a promise that we have to believe by faith. It may happen in our lifetimes. May not. There will still be sin, death, struggle on this world until he comes again, until you rise again. 
what our confidence can be this morning and what we want to share with people this morning, what we want to share with our community is that confidence that we have eternal life. We have this paradise restored because of what Jesus did for us. That's the beautiful message of the way. It's one of the reasons I was so happy to come and get to preach to you guys this morning because I get to share a message that I know Pastor Matt shares with you every Sunday. By faith in Jesus and because of what he did for you and for me, we have paradise. I'll ask you the question again. Perhaps some of you are still hung up on when I said think about your paradise, but what is What is your paradise? What's the perfect place? If you'll allow me to read the words of Revelation 22, 1 to 5, one more time, and think about the paradise that will be ours in heaven. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. That's really just saying that it's going to be perfect. There's going to be food all the time. That's what John is trying to say there. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. There will no longer be any curse. That curse from Genesis is over. It's done. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need for the light of a lamp. Nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen.